This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. Uh, I'm pleased to have Swat Young with me this time. And uh, she's Chief Technology Officer or CTO at Sustain Chain. And uh, we are going to talk about a number of topics, including analytics, including AI, including, you know, scaling. And so stay with us for the rest of the discussion. And uh, Swat, welcome to this podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and the organization as well? Thank you so much for having me, Arman. Um, a little bit about myself. I've been in the world of technology for over 20 years and held every single job in the world of technology. Started off as a developer, then as a consultant, implementing Oracle financial uh, applications. Then my curiosity drove me to be a product manager and did go to market strategies for technology products. And most recently in a decade, over a decade, I've been leading engineering teams and most recently data science teams, um, essentially to strategize and help organizations achieve their business goals through technology. So that's a little bit about myself. I have a very active seven-year-old son who keeps me busy on my toes. And the other thing I'm passionate about is uh, how AI and other emerging technologies can humanize um, the emerging technologies and how we can deal with the bias and ethical implications of the emerging technologies. So uh, that's something I speak a lot about and I've done some work with the government, US government since I'm just outside Washington, DC. Um, and my company currently, Sustain Chain, it's a digital platform that enables the acceleration of United Nations sustainability development goals. I know that's a mouthful, but what does it mean? All it means is consider it like a LinkedIn for sustainability. Mm-hmm. So it's a network of all the players in the sustainability mm-hmm. ecosystem, and we have machine learning algorithms that will make recommendations to connect one another and and take it to the next level of LinkedIn, they not only have connections with other people in the ecosystem, but also the projects they're working on. So we have a marketplace where people can post uh, what are the active projects they're working on. And if they need any help, they can ask for help. And other people, if they have some resources, they can offer the resources. So, and the backbone of this is uh, a machine learning reinforcement engine, but it's a digital platform um, that brings all the members working in sustainability together. Fantastic. Um, 
that's great. Uh, a great way to explain it as well. So linking for you know sustainability ecosystem essentially. So um, now talking about the AI part that you mentioned and the of course the, all of the discussions going on energized by you know all of these new developments on the open AI side and generative AI and what the result that they, the great result they have been able to generate and the result they have been able to deliver in action to everyday people. So many people are asking, especially the C-level people are asking how to capitalize on this, how to make sure that we can really harvest the value out of this and what else we need to do in order to um, not to get behind, but at the same time, we don't want to really go too fast. Maybe it's not the right way to do it. Maybe there are some risks involved with it. So mm-hmm. the right pace at the same time, not to go too slow, not to go too fast. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your take on it uh, since you have been very busy with these particular topics? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so usually what I want to start when I speak to the C-suite or the boardroom is that you want to use the technology, whether it's generative AI, machine learning, or any emerging technology, not for the sake of just using it. It's use it to enable your business goals, or if you're a federal agency or a state level government agency to enable your mission. So that's my first starting point every time. What problem are you trying to solve and for whom? So if you're a large organization or an enterprise, it will be your customers. And if you're a government agency, it will be your citizens, right? So narrow down on some of the problems that you can solve and and then think about what are the tools or if they don't know what the tool can do for them that's where i can help right so generative ai is powerful in actually generating text generating images and so on and so forth but what you don't know is machine learning is even more powerful there are a number of use cases over the last six years i've worked on healthcare transportation and multiple sectors that machine learning can be powerful, for example, to enable the business goals. So start with what is the business goal? What problems are you trying to solve? And and think about how emerging technologies like AI, generative AI, and tomorrow it could be something else, how they can be used to solve the problem. And then uh, lay the foundation to get there, right? So sometimes what we are seeing is large organizations, there's a lot of silos, Maybe the marketing department is doing a POC using machine learning. The finance department doesn't know about it. Um, Maybe the production department wants to use. So all these silos are existing. And what the best thing the C-suite leader can do is actually have a goal, be that change agent and say, hey, we can only use this AI to affect the bottom line if we all come together and break down those silos because in order to leverage the uh, emerging technology in a powerful way, it's important to come together and enable the entire organization. So that's the first message to the C-suite, whether you're a CEO or a a CMO, um, enable the entire organization to come together to work on some particular POCs if you're starting new. If you're if you if there's already silos, bring together and see what you can learn from each other so that you can um, you know leverage it for the entirety of the organization. Uh, 
number two is laying the foundation for data, right? But even generative view, uh, generative AI, the power of chat GPT is not using chat GPT as it is, but customizing it for your organization, in which case you will have to lay down your data, understand your data and have really high quality data. Typically, like in, in pharmaceuticals, you have so much of data that you can actually feed to your uh, large language model in generative AI and use it for some discovery. But so I would say focus on laying the foundation of data. And the thirdly is infrastructure. So don't uh, undermine the power of infrastructure because it's like building a house. You have to lay the foundation before you can stand up the walls and everything. So your infrastructure, whether you're using tools like AWS, Microsoft, Azure, your cloud and the infrastructure will become a baseline. So some of the things to keep in mind. Um, there was a time that, of course, there was no AWS not long time ago, and there was no Azure or something. And believe it or not, it was only a decade ago. Uh, and then all of a sudden, now we are relying on these technologies so heavily mm -hmm. that essentially mm -hmm. they have become our new operating systems. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that you have, at least I have observed, and I don't think, you know, it, it, it's something that uh, probably so uncommon so probably everybody has seen the same thing is for the for a period of time we have seen that the cost of cloud and the convenience and security and everything getting better but then most recently i hear a lot of people are concerned about the cost when they wanted to scale or the cost of performance i would say especially mm -hmm. when it comes to heavy algorithms it comes to mm -hmm. machine learning it comes to you know all of these more advanced algorithms then the cost of performance may become an issue and many people may say well either we have problem to really leverage this at the scale we want or the cost is prohibitive in what we want to do uh, how's you know your, your 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 experience with many of these kind of powerful tools out there and platforms out there but cost can be you know, one of those parameters that may stop people from using it at the level they should. It might be, you know, something, a service like a snowflake. It might be something like a machine learning algorithm. It might be, you know, some other great services that the technology is there and the technology has to be used to get better, especially mm -hmm. with machine learning. You have to really use these services at scale so they mm -hmm. can get better and better. But if the cost is prohibitive, then people are not going to use it. So that's not going to improve as much as it should. What's your take? What's your experience? Do you have any concern about that, that we are in a kind of loop that is not really kind of, you know, uh, but, but how, how do you feel about that? No, that's an interesting question because um, on one hand, there are aspects of cost that AWS Cloud will help minimize. So what I mean by that is that I, a couple of years back, I used to work for Amtrak and our cycle time for, for from when we started coding to moving to production was over three months, right? And, and if we wanted to work on multiple projects, we had to wait 
for buying the server, the server to be delivered physically and so on. So the cost is not just the cost you're paying for utilizing cloud computing, but it's also the opportunity cost. You might be losing customers, you might be making unhappy customers. So there is the opportunity cost to be considered. But having said that, I would think of cost in two, three ways. So we can slice it in multiple ways. The first thing is if you are in the business of technology, right? So what I mean by that is open AI is definitely or most probably not using just cloud computing. I'm sure they have they have a supercomputer uh, that I've heard of. So so if you are in the actual business of providing um, technology services for very large scale people. So right now, um, even I have experienced with ChatGPT initially when once it was launched, everybody was accessing and it was timing out, right? So if you're in the business of providing technology solutions for large scale, then definitely it's going to be cost prohibitive to go with the cloud computing services because that is your core of the business. And perhaps you're serving millions of customers. So scale is a very important point when you think of cost, right? And it's, and the other important point that you have to consider is you don't have to build in all bells and whistles initially when you're starting small. For example, at Sustain Chain, we don't have millions of users yet. We have a couple of thousands of users. So we don't need to leverage all the load balancing and other things that we want to use when we are at scale. So I consider it as invest as much as possible, as little as possible initially from zero to hundred and then hundred to thousand thousand to one million i'm talking about users and one million and beyond so you want to scale your resources on the cloud appropriately and do not over over optimize initially when it's not required so when we talk about tools like snowflake or databricks I would think that we, when we have millions and billions of records of data is when you want to consider those tools because ideally those tools help optimize scaling so that your users do not experience glitches. So, um, so that's the way to think about costs. And obviously these days there are hybrid uh, cloud environments you do. Maybe you do um, certain critical systems still in a data center and then you have some other less critical systems on the cloud so when you think of your cost a um, couple of things i want to summarize is one what are you in the business of and make your decisions accordingly number two uh, if you're a startup and just starting don't in overly invest on all the things that you need only invest on things that you need appropriately, zero to 100 users, 100 to 1,000, and 1,000 to, not even 1,000 to million, maybe 1,000 to 100,000. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, um, you will think about scaling using other tools when you have hit that limit. And I have observed typically in the federal agencies, right? They have all those tools, but they still have some aspect of their applications in a data center. So uh, think of something as big as Department of Health and Human Services. They have multiple divisions like Center for Medicare and Medicaid and um, NIH is one of their divisions. So think of the amount of data they have across all these subdivisions and at that point they do have all the tools in the cloud computing world 
and they do have some uh, data center as well. So, so it's all, I want to say a business uh, answer, it depends on your use case. So essentially what I hear from you is pay more attention to return on investment. Mm-hmm. And if you have the return on investment, maybe pricing is part of it, but not the whole you know, story. Mm-hmm. But you can really look at the return on investment and say, okay, this makes sense or not. And of course, if it doesn't make sense, maybe it makes sense later to leverage this technology if it's not the right time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect, and there are a couple of other aspects that I would like to ask you about it when it comes to this new you know, um, type of algorithms and machine learning and AI. Um, one aspect of it is, regard, is related to sustainability itself. So AI and ML and all these new technologies in a way help the sustainability and environment. But on the other side, they are not helping by, you know, just essentially bringing all of these um, added pressure on the need for more computing power. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, all of that comes with, you know, need for higher energy and you know, mm-hmm. consumption and all of those. So you see both sides that, you know, recently there were mm-hmm. some reports from Stanford University that shows the picture on both sides. So how do you feel about that though? So do you see the trend is kind of, it makes sense maybe at the beginning it's like that and then you get more efficiency and maybe algorithms, you know, I read an article somewhere that probably if you are running this algorithm and doing this machine learning and, you know, these kind of things is more, expensive for the environment then you fly two times going back and forth between san francisco and 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 new york for example so the it was just showing you how much you know power consumption exists in these kind of algorithms that you are using Um, and you know so so what's your take on that and then we get to the other side that is more on the ethical aspect of ai yeah, that's good uh, point because I'm in the world of sustainability and we all know the more compute power is used, the more um, it would be harmful to the environment. But just like cars, right? Just because cars are the major cause, uh, cause of pollution, we did not say let's stop making cars, but we switched to electric cars, right? Or electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. So similarly, for with, I'm seeing this trend in the cloud computing world um, and switching to alternate sources of um, energy, whether it's electricity, wind, solar, and all that would help in reducing that footprint, the carbon footprint. Um, and the other thing is from a machine learning and engineer's perspective is like uh, sometimes you have to optimize your models. Do you need initially that much of data to run your models? Most often the answer might be yes, but also depending on the size of the organization, you know, you might want to start small and which might not require that big a footprint. Like, for example, I work with some college students here to advise on their machine learning projects, and and they all have really small footprint initially, which is what is needed. So so definitely um, that is something that cloud computing service providers are thinking about. The second thing I have also read is that 
the chip makers, which are used, like NVIDIA is uh, providing a lot of those latest and greatest chips that can help with the computing of large-scale machine learning models. They are also switching to alternate energy sources. So it's the whole supply chain um, conundrum of, you know, when you think of sustainability, you're not just thinking of emissions in the first degree, which is you, but in second and third degree along the supply chain. So, um, so obviously large scale models use chips and where are the chips produced? How are they being produced? And all those sustainable aspects is considered more and more since there's focus on sustainability in a good way, hopefully these days. So those are some observations I've made. Okay, fantastic. Um, so it's good. So the trend from your perspective is positive and is you're hoping that by making these improvements, you are going to get better and better to the point that, you know, we can remove those concerns. Um, mm -hmm. Now, talking about the ethical aspect of AI, there are several stories out there. And if you are not completely there, we are very close to the point that essentially machine can just listen to someone a famous singer or something and say, I like this voice or something and let me just, you know, compose my own music and just, mm -hmm. you know, put my kind of lyrics on it. And just now I'm releasing my kind of, you know, uh, art, piece of art that is pretty mm -hmm. close to the original singer. And mm -hmm. then it's the question of, okay, what happens with all of these copyright laws mm -hmm. that we have and we have created all of them for humans and now machine can move it to a totally different scale. Artists, mm -hmm. painters have had some issues that you are essentially training your algorithm based on our work and the work that machine is creating is actually partially is our work. And mm -hmm. now you see the similarities between those kind of artworks created by machine. Many, many other examples. So, mm -hmm. you know, Writing is the other thing, of course, and many other examples. So all of this creative work that somebody has spent a lot of time and as a human, you know, we need a lot of time and effort to create some of these work. We are not, you know, that fast to create this in five seconds, sometimes takes a while. And then all of a sudden you see machine coming and just taking over and doing some of this work. And honestly, sometimes it's not even machine under our control or at least may not be in the future. Like I'm actually asking machine to go and look at these five things and copy and create something. There may not be such a control event behind the scene. We may not even know that this is happening and the machine is just collecting data and mixing and deciding which of them is the right data to use. So what kind of, you know, ethical aspect comes to, you know, to play for such an environment and, uh, from your perspective, what are the right actions to take today and what mm -hmm. you see is going to happen tomorrow? Yeah, that's a very loaded question. A lot of aspects and a lot of thoughts are coming into mind. And very latest uh, news story, I think yesterday or day before, there was a photograph that was given an award and the photographer said, actually, I don't deserve the award because this was created by AI. Um, so the first thing I want to say is the human in the loop, right? So one good thing where we are today is the machines are not 
itself starting, right? <laughs> somebody has to click a button to make that happen. That doesn't necessarily mean somebody is not misusing it, but at least that's a starting point. There is a human who's initiating this. Um, and secondly, yes, I think there is going to be a lot of um, plagiarization of, of content, especially if you're an artist uh, who has produced uh, things of work, artwork, uh, with blood, sweat, and tears, and it's just being stolen, right? So with regards to those aspects, the couple of things to keep in mind is the first and foremost is transparency and interpretability. So what I mean by transparency is like you, um, the creators of algorithm actually declare what are some of the inputs that went into creation of the algorithm. And secondly, uh, what are some um, predictable outcomes that it is being produced? So that is the biggest concern everyone has with OpenAI because we don't know what were the data sources that were used to produce that, right? So does it include just openly available data like Wikipedia or does it include even copyright information? No one knows. And having said that, anybody can take their APIs and do something similar. Like if there is a digital book, somebody might copy and feed it to the large language model. And we haven't even requested permission from the authors. So the transparency is the number one aspect and the interpretability is, is a complex topic, but in a nutshell, what it means is that the, uh, the algorithms that are produ producing the outcomes, how are we going to interpret that? It, and it's more of a concern in the machine learning world when it produces a decision. For example, there was a very famous use case when predictive analytics was being used by a judge, whether, to, um, whether it's a bailable offense or not, right? So we have to understand not the math behind the algorithm, but what is the weightage factor based on what parameters did the algorithm make this decision? To that level, you need transparency. Okay, parameters based on this five years of historical records, this person has five or six offenses based on that, it's non-bailable offense, right? To that extent, we need to understand what are the parameters, what is the weightage of the parameters? So that is the interpretability aspect. And thirdly, I think the only way that the these could be controlled to some extent, whether it's copyright issues, license issues, and so on is regulation, right? And regulation always plays catch up and they're not up to speed, but I think this is one area where governments, academia, industry have to come together and decide just like they have done for the healthcare, right? You cannot do a brain transplant. You cannot do human cloning. Although, although those technologies exist, there is some regulation and boundaries around what can be done and what shouldn't be done. So similarly, we, we can learn some things in the healthcare sector and have some regulation, but Unlike healthcare, I think the biggest challenge with AI is the boundary is seamless. It can be used in multiple industries, just like electricity. So we have to be more careful in regulation. But I think unless there's regulation, um, there is going to be impact to jobs. There is going to be impact to copyright violations. There's going to be impact to people who can spread misinformation. So there's a lot of these um, considerations that we have to think about.
so uh, the point that the great point you are making is as long as people are behind it and as long as we know what is the data that has trained this algorithm then there are much better and easier and more clear ways to really look at it and say if what has been done is right or not until we get to the phase that we go to the next probably generation at one point then then at that point may not be easy to directly trace and may not be easy to really see a person behind these and maybe machine behind this machine algorithm and that would be more kind of at that point probably a little bit more complex but at least for now this is what we should do and, and that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. um, you have been in data and data you know base world and analytics for a while and you have experienced you know different companies like oracle and you know other companies and technologies that you know have come to the market afterwards and today are really working so i need to ask you this that from from your perspective and what you have seen in in this journey of data and uh, helping organizations data helping you know, the advancements that you are making businesses, organizations, but also in our daily life. Um, and now we have some well-connected cloud-based, you know, serverless technologies that can scale in a matter of seconds from one mm-hmm. user to thousands of users. Uh, all of these, you know, uh, aspects of data that you can separate the layers and essentially decouple, for example, performance from storage and processing mm-hmm. from storage and all of those advancements. Even you can really decouple different engines. You can add engine to add new processing. So it's all about this new kind of trend that it's all about decoupling things and mm-hmm. then let the users essentially based on their use cases, based on the performance they need, based on the storage size they need, then mm-hmm. decide rather than just go with one package that is predefined from any aspect and it's just mm-hmm. out of the box. I'm going to give you all of these functions done. I'm going to give you this much performance. I'm going to give you this much storage at least license wise or technology where it doesn't matter putting walls around it. Now going with this new world of data and databases. Um, and then at, on top of that, adding this algorithm and everything, do you see that they are getting to the point that essentially rather than having database companies and having analytic companies and having AI companies, it's just coming all together into just one unit ultimately in the next 10 years maybe or so. And then all of these are kind of getting blurred. So you really don't know at the end of the day when you buy the software, it's database, it's analytic, it's machine learning. You can actually just blend a lot of these together and companies, um, you know, that we see in the market like Databricks or Snowflake have mm-hmm. tried to really build a bigger stack of technologies rather mm-hmm. than just go with only database. And uh, how do you see that kind of trend from your perspective evolving? That's a very interesting question that frankly, I haven't thought through, but I experienced it a lot. Um, So I would say they will be evolving a lot more that are friendly towards the business users. So there's another company called H2O.AI. Basically, um, 
a hidden layer that is uh, making sure the business users have the power instead of the data scientist, right? So, so in all organizations, one of the biggest things that businesses want to avoid is go through IT, right? Um, so they want to go through, sorry, I had a glitch on my computer, but they want to go through IT. They don't want to go through IT for any request. As much as possible, they want to do it themselves. So all the tools in the market are catering to that need. So I come from a world that 20 years back, we had absolutely, like business users absolutely had no power. There was no SaaS applications, nothing. Then I saw the what they call the shadow IT, right? Because... Uh, a CMO could purchase Salesforce and they need not go to the IT team to ask for any enhancements. And now all the department can purchase their own tools. So it's going to happen in the world of data also. So we, you have brought up good examples, Snowflake, Databricks, they can do most of the things that AWS tools can do. But the reason people want to use that is because of easier, uh, easier to manage business users' requests to the extent possible, um, do not even go to the IT team or a technologist to set it up, enable as much as possible. So the way I see it is some of the foundational layers, obviously collecting the data, cleaning and scrubbing the data, those jobs will still remain with the technology team. But once the data is scrubbed and is available, that all the tools are unified to enable the business user to get their visualizations, to get their dashboards, to get their decision making on their fingertips. So that's the that's the trend that I've been observing. Great. Yep. You mentioned the kind of uh, the trend toward being self-service, and obviously that is that makes sense. Not just in software. Honestly, I have seen it in every other parts of the life. I'm used to. 25 years ago to go to bank to do everything and now you use your mobile phone the app yeah. you know to deposit your check to do whatever you want it's rare for somebody to say i have to go to bank go to the bank right so everything has become either through atm or through your mobile phone in a very self-service way so mm -hmm. it's just any aspect that you can think of now we are moving toward really making it self-service it means that consumer is happier the user is happier and the vendor is also more efficient with that regard. So, um, so it was a fantastic uh, discussion with you, Swati. At the end, I would like to ask you if there is any book that you would like to recommend to the audience. So one of the books um, that I would recommend to the audience is The Hard Things by uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Everybody in Silicon Valley and beyond know about Ben. He's the founder of Anderson Horowitz uh, Venture Capitalist Firm. But the interesting thing about this book is that it not only speaks about how to start a startup, how to deal with managing this, uh, the team team members in the startup, how to deal with running um, the startup, but also how to deal with selling it and merging it. So if you want to see an end-to-end -end life cycle of the startup and the growth and all the things psychologically that comes with uh, being in a management seat, that's a great book. So I read a lot, but I think it's very relevant for organizations to think about because sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. And Ben is very honest about some of 
those things that he had to go through. So I would recommend that. And, and totally, Armand, from my side, I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Very insightful, made me think about a lot of things sometimes that I don't pause and think, but I continue working on. Fantastic. Thanks again. And, and we, will, we will definitely follow you on LinkedIn and when I post this on social media, I encourage everyone to post comments and questions that they might have and we will be happy to answer. Thank yeah, likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.